Huckabee, Senator Marsha Blackburn on the Cuba crisis, political expert Kurt Schlichter, granny guitarist Paula Joe Taylor, and Taylor Lynn honors the legendary Loretta Lynn. Music City Connection, and I'm your guest announcer, Wink Martindale. And now, here's the man, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. We are so very happy to have you here. Very happy to have Wink Martindale with us tonight as our guest announcer. Give a big hand. This is such a legend in television, and we just love Wink and Sandy Martindale, two of the finest people that have graced our stage. I'm going to be chatting with Wink a little bit later, so we're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, it's just an honor to have him filling in for Keith Bilbrey. Now, uh, I know that some of you may be aware that Keith Bilbrey and his wife, Emmy Joe have had a tough time. Their beautiful home, which was built back in 1864, totally destroyed by fire on the 22nd of June. So, so many of us wanted to do something for him. We put out the word to the entertainment community in Nashville and said, let's do something to raise money for Keith's expenses, getting back on his feet. Um, and to show our love for him. But we did it this week uh, here in our theater, and it was a special evening with just the stars of the country firmament all here. I want you to take a look at what happened when we did the event coming home and rebuilding the Bilberries. You're going to have a wonderful evening of great entertainment tonight. And it's just been one blessing after another. It was a wonderful evening as we just showered love upon our friends Keith and Emmy Joe Bilbrey. And I want to say, I hope that you will continue to keep your prayers on them and uh, Contribute to the fund that we've set up on GoFundMe. Now, some of you are probably looking at me and saying, what is this about? Isn't that different? Thank you. Somebody said, love it. That's good. Please tell my wife that. She's not as sure as others. Let me tell you something. People are asking, so I want to get this just real clear. Why am I doing this? Well, folks, under the Biden economy... I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to moonlight as a department store Santa in December, and I got to get a good early start. That's why. So, got to take a second job. A lot of Americans are going to have to if the taxes keep going up, inflation keeps eating out everything we do. So, there you go. That's why. I hope it's a, a full explanation that you like. Hey, for reasons, 
that make no sense. Democrats are dead set against requiring a person to have a photo ID in order to vote. The idea of an ID is simple enough. You should vote, but your vote should be protected by making sure that you are the person doing the voting. Because if someone else votes your ballot, they're actually stealing it from you. Now, I'm fairly well known, and most places I go, I'm recognized and called by my name, even before I sign in at the front desk. This happens at the airport, at a doctor's or dentist's office, and at a bank when I wish to withdraw funds. Even so, without a photo ID, I couldn't see a doctor, fly on a plane, or pay for groceries with a check. I couldn't take out a loan, check into a hotel or rent a car, or pick up baseball tickets at the will call window. In most cities, I couldn't even enter a large office building. So why the heartburn about having a photo ID to vote? Now, the argument is that it's racist to require the ID for voting. That's not just laughable. That is insulting to people of color to assume that they are somehow less capable than white people to function in our current world. That's crazy. Folks, black or brown people are as smart as I am, maybe smarter. And I know that they too go to doctors and hospitals, hotels, office buildings, and fly on planes. To suggest that obtaining or using a photo ID is just too complicated for a black or brown person, that's outrageous. It's denigrating. Do Democrats really think so little of minorities? You know, it's not racist to ask all people, whatever color they are, to have a photo ID when they vote. But it is 100% racist to insinuate that a minority person is too dumb or lacks the basic life skills to obtain or use a photo ID. Vice President Kamala Harris insulted people in rural America this week when she said that a photo ID would be too much to ask of people in rural parts of the country. Because if we had to make a photocopy, or as she said, if we had to Xerox our ID or go to Kinko's, we wouldn't have the ability to do that. I kind of think maybe she ought to visit rural America a little more. She might be surprised to find out that we've got electricity, running water, paved roads, cable TV, indoor plumbing, and yes, even got connections to the interweb. We got it all. And you know what? We even wear shoes and store-bought britches. Why, heck, a bunch of us have even been to an airport and flown on them big jet planes. And we've even got toilet paper. And if we run out, we can always go to the New York Times since the Sears catalog no longer gets printed. I'll bet, I'll bet she doesn't even know that we quit using horse-drawn carriages years ago and folks down here drive big old fancy cars like the folks in California. Now, I admit, we ain't all as fancy as the folks in California where she comes from. We still sometimes use plastic straws. We eat real ribeye steaks instead of tofu. And we believe that church is more essential than a casino or a topless bar. We really do. And 
If the vice president wants to come down for a visit, we can show her that all our folk, no matter what color, know how to use and get a photo ID. And we also know how to get and use a cast iron skillet. And this really might mess her up. We know how to get and use a rifle, a shotgun, or a pistol. Yeah. Mm. Now, I want to be clear for all the crazies out there. Most of us would never think of using those things on people unless they are dumb enough to try to invade our homes or threaten our families. And then it's not us that will need the photo ID. It's the dumb son of a gun who tried to break into our houses because he's going to need a photo ID so the authorities can notify the next of kin. That's the truth. My first guest is a United States Senator representing the great state of Tennessee. And this week, Senator Marsha Blackburn has taken up the cause of the protesters in Cuba who just want their freedom. She says there is no empowerment or equality in socialism. What socialism brings is starvation, shortages, violence, and failure. And that's been the case in Cuba for more than 60 years. So why can't President Biden say that? Well, she'll say it. Please welcome to the show a dear friend, Senator Marsha Blackburn. We always love having you here because you're one of the most plain-spoken people in all of Congress, and that's refreshing to all of us. This week, you've been pretty bold in talking about what's happening in Cuba yes. and the reluctance, it seems, from so many people on the left to call out the dictatorship of Cuba for what they're doing to their people. It's been astounding to us to see that they are not stepping up and saying this is a communist regime. The people of Cuba, the people of Cuba, have been under this authoritarian rule for 62 years. And it is astounding that you keep having the left say this is all about COVID vaccines. No, it is not. Yes. This is a fight for freedom. This is a fight to push back on this communist regime. These people are starving. They do not have food, water, electricity. They don't have jobs. And they are ready to get out from under this rule and to experience freedom. That is why they're protesting. That is why they're in the streets waving the American flag. That's very significant to note. These are people, they do love America, and, and they, they would love to have the freedom right. that we have. I find it interesting that we say we won't let these people come to the U.S. We won't give them asylum. But down on the southern border, even if you're waving some other flag and you hate the country and you don't have any real desire to right. love the country or the flag, come on in. I'm having a hard time processing that. Maybe since you live in Washington, you can explain to me what they're thinking up there because I don't get it. Well, Governor, I live in Tennessee <laughs> and I come home every weekend and talk to my friends and neighbors and the people in this state. But I do work in Washington and what they are doing, Secretary Mayorkas, with all of this gibberish about you can't come if you're from Cuba and you're facing oppression, loss of life, uh, kids being ripped out of their homes, forced into the army. 
And I think part of it is because the Cuban people are very pro-America. They're very entrepreneurial. You can look at what is happening in Miami with the Cuban Americans who are standing up and fighting. And maybe these are folks that just don't fit the profile that the Biden administration is wanting to have come in. I don't begrudge the people who want to come here. I really don't. Whether they're coming from Cuba or Venezuela or Mexico or Honduras or Guatemala. Mm -hmm. But I think we all want them to come with a sense that they want to come to America, not just from some place. Recently, we've had a record number of people come across the border illegally, and rather than process them and do what was working, which was putting them on the other side of the border until they were processed, current administration says, come on in. And what we found is many of them have been flown in the dead of night all over the country, including to your state here in Tennessee. You've been very outspoken about not that you don't love these folks, but this is a real problem when people are just dropped off in the middle of the country without any plan for how they're going to how they're going to make it. Or, or who is going to care for them? And they're going to these detention facilities. But what we have to realize is these individuals that have come across this border are traumatized. Hmm. They've been physically, emotionally, mentally abused by the cartel because the cartel is in charge of the southern border. So what the Biden administration is doing is transferring the cost of tending to education, health care, child services, social services, housing, transferring all of that to your local and state government. But they're not giving them any information or a heads up that they are bringing these people into these communities. This is why every town's a border town and every state is a border state until we get this southern border closed and until we know who is coming to our country. And I think the fascinating thing that we always ought to be grateful for is that America is still a place where people are trying to break into It's not a place where people are trying to break out of. I tell you, I say this all the time. I've never met anyone that tried to break into China for the China dream (laughs) or into Russia. I said the only person I knew that had tried to break into Russia was Bernie Sanders, who went there for his honeymoon. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) So true. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's just important that voices like yours are continually heard. What you're doing on trying to make big tech companies accountable is really valuable to every American. Will we ever see these companies held to account for just throttling back the views of people they don't agree with? We are working on it every day, and God bless President Donald Trump for filing that lawsuit against big tech. I was really pleased to see him do that. And today, uh, this afternoon, I sent a letter to the White House after Jen Psaki said, well, they're reading some of these emails and trying to block this misinformation in their words. I said, well, who are the people that you're spying on? Mm -hmm. Who on the White House staff do you have doing this? How long have you been doing this? Who are you working with at the big tech companies? Because the American people deserve answers. 
The First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason, and we have to keep it. Absolutely. And, um, and so we're going to continue to push back on big tech and hold them to account. Well, thank you for that and all sure. that you do. And thank you. Senator Marsha Blackburn, we are happy to have you here. And I want to make sure that you know you can follow the senator on Twitter, at Marsha Blackburn, for her takes on the news of the day. And to learn more about what she's doing to fight for you as an American, whether you live in Tennessee or not, she's fighting for you. Right now, the illustrious Wink Martindale is going to tell you what we got coming up on the show tonight. So stick around. Political commentator Kurt Schlichter and country music star Taylor Lynn honors her grandmother, Loretta Lynn. They're coming up. But first, I'm going to have a word with Mike myself, so please don't go away. And welcome back. You know, Wink Martindale is one of America's most popular radio personalities. He's also an author, a recording artist. He's known for hosting Tic Tac Doe, High Rollers, and a whole lot of other game shows. He's got a new weekly show called The History of Rock and Roll. It's heard on radio stations all over the country. Now, he originally hails from right here in Tennessee. Would you welcome Wink Martindale? Wink, great having you here. Thank you, Governor. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. I am very intrigued. This new show, The History of Rock and Roll, because a lot of us grew up when rock and roll uh, was still kind of new, and we're not new anymore, but the music is lasting, and it's hanging in there. Yeah, and so much of the good music that we grew up with uh, has been plagiarized, so to speak, uh, to the point where we don't really recognize it as, quote-unquote, real music. Yeah. And so we wanted to go back, my team and I, wanted to go back and, and, and look at the way it all started, and it really began around 1954 when I was a mere pup in Memphis, Tennessee as a disc jockey. Mm. And I remember that night when Sam Phillips walked in with that first rock and roll record, That's All Right Mama, by a, a truck driver named Elvis Presley. That's right. You were actually sitting on the air when Sam Phillips brought Elvis Presley's first record. I'm the only living person of six who were in that control room that night wow. when Dewey Phillips, the DJ, played that seven times in a row. Switchboard <laughs> lit up. And that was really and truly, in my opinion, which I do respect, uh -huh. uh, the beginning <laughs> of rock As you and roll. Should. Yeah. <laughs> I got that from Wayne Newton, by the way. <laughs> and um, so from that night forward, uh, in 1955, with Brock Around the Clock from Blackboard Jungle, everything just continued. The Everly Brothers in 57 with Bye Bye Love. And that was really and truly the beginning of rock and roll. You know, when some of these songs are played, and they're 50 or 60 years old, but they still are appealing to people who are 18. I mean, it says something about the quality of the music and the uniqueness of the artist. And I'm not being disparaging about, you know, younger pop musicians and singers and artists, but I listen to a lot of the music and I'm thinking, will people still be listening to that in 50 or 60 years? Will it still be appealing to people who are 18? I can't see that happening sometimes. Well, these, these particular shows that we're doing are two hours long mm -hmm. for weekends, and uh, we've themed them. Uh, that is to say, uh, a two-hour show will be built around Beatlemania. A two-hour show will be built around Elvis in the 50s or Elvis in the 60s 
or uh, the Motown sound, yeah. or the number one records of 1969. And I've found over the years that uh, these songs that have meant so much to us over the years, really and truly, for the most part, will be long lasting. And I, mm. and I, uh, I agree that they'll be around for a long, long time. Songs like Twilight Time by The Platters, I mean, you never get tired <laughs> of hearing them. Yeah. You've been in the radio business. You've done so much television. Everybody in America knows who you are because of all the TV that you did throughout. I'm so old. You know what? I don't <laughs> think so. I think you're timeless and ageless. That's what I always love about you. You're always continuing to be able to reinvent yourself and, and stay relevant. Uh, how have you done that? And, and you still have the enthusiasm and the joy for it all, Wink. That's what I love. I just love the business, uh, Governor. When I was seven or eight years old and old enough to know what a microphone was and the fact you could talk into one of those things and hear a sound at the other end of the speaker, it fascinated me. So I've always loved the business and I've never gotten tired huh. of being a part of the business. And so, like you say, I always try to reinvent myself. And this history of rock and roll is my latest invention. I just love staying busy. And I think when you do that, it keeps your mind active and it, it, it keeps you um, in the eye of the public. And that's very, in our business, that's very important. <laughs> yeah, that is. It's also important in politics. What are you doing these days? I'm not doing much. You know, I'm trying to stay <laughs> on the down low. I'm just trying to, you know, make sure nobody knows what I'm doing. Why do I not believe that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having the time of my life doing sure this show. Are. I mean, but this is fun because I wanted this show to be something that reminds people of when television was fun and entertaining and it didn't make your head explode with uh, so much stuff that was controversial. We have enough to keep it interesting. But that's one of the reasons I want to talk to guys like you about the history of rock and roll, because it's something that touched all of our lives. You're going to be with us the whole night. I'm so happy you're here. I love you and your wonderful wife, Sandy. Wink, thank you. Thank you, for Bill. being here in the show. Thank you so much. And I want to make sure that you check out Wink Martindale's The History of Rock and Roll. It plays weekly on radio stations all over the nation. Now, I'm going to ask Wink to let us in on what we got coming up after the break. Well, next, best-selling author Kurt Schlichter. And then, laugh out loud news on In Case You Missed It. So stay with us. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at Governor Mike Huckabee on Twitter. Welcome back. My next guest is a brilliant columnist, and I say that with conviction. He was recruited personally by Andrew Breitbart for his conservative commentary. He's now the senior columnist at townhall.com. He's a trial attorney, a retired Army colonel, and he says there's a backlash coming against the ruling class of woke tyrants. And it might be coming sooner than they think. He is absolutely brilliant. I can't read him without laughing out loud. He's one of the most gifted writers in our country today. If you're not reading him, you're missing out some of the best stuff in America. Would you welcome to the show, Kurt Schlichter. Kurt, great having you here. Thank you. Thank you, Governor Huckabee. Holy cow. Brilliant, huh? Yes. No, conti no continue. You are brilliant. I, I will uh -huh. say it again because when I read your stuff, first of all, I have to read it thoroughly because it's, it's just <laughs> so well written. Your use of words, amazing. So thank you. Well, 
I don't know where to go with that except to say, <laughs> yeah, it's great stuff. Um, That's what you do. No, look, I'm a Los Angeles trial lawyer. I was a cavalry colonel. Uh, it's not like I have a tiny ego. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's, yeah, it's, it's enormous. But fortunately, I've got my wife to keep me in check. So. And, and speaking of your wife, I found out something just tonight I did not know. Your wife came here from Cuba when she was just an infant. Absolutely. My wife is an American by choice. And her father and mom, father came over, served in the United States Army, Americans by choice. Uh, we need to support the Cuban people. Yeah. We need to stop this mealy mouth whimpering that's coming out of the White House and stand firm for freedom. No exceptions, no question. I think there are so many Americans, regardless of their party, who agree with that and, and wish that it was a united message to send to the world that we stand for freedom, not for communism and socialism and dictatorship. That shouldn't be hard. Well, the, the problem our, uh, our, our current occupant of the White House has is that he has to suck up for a bunch of people who call themselves socialists. Now, if you've actually experienced socialism, and I served in the ruins of socialism uh, uh, when I deployed with the army to the former Yugoslavia, uh, and I spent time training people in Ukraine, uh, you know what it's like. And when you have family members whose own family members were locked up simply for wanting to be free, then you know where you have to stand. Mm. Your outspokenness on the issue of what's happening in wokeness among Ugh. corporations. Uh, freedom of speech once used to be the hallmark of America, whether you're on the left or right, and you respected people who were on the left, but they had the freedom to speak, and you cherished their freedom to speak. Now, if you don't take a far leftist position, it's not just making, making you quiet, it's putting out a business. That's frightening to me. It, it's terrifying. You know, me and millions of other Americans served our country uh, overseas. Now, I was no war hero like, you know, Dick Blumenthal or Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> uh, I mean, I ran a heavily armed car wash in Desert Storm. <laughs> of course, what we were washing off was a nerve agent. But it, it you know, I, I sacrificed a lot. My wife sacrificed a lot. We had a six-month-old kid huh. when I went away to Kosovo after 9-11, and I was gone for 16 months. Yeah. We all sacrificed, and to see the values of the Constitution that we, that you know, people like me swore to serve, that family members backed up their people serving, uh, uh, trashed. You know, it, it's a disgrace. Yeah. And to that point, the military has become the new center oh. of wokeness. And we had Matt Lohmeyer on our show, the, the young uh, Space uh, Force commander right, who was relieved Colonel. of duty because he dared question some of the things happening Outrageous. in the military. Outrageous. It is a, a utter disgrace when a, a serving officer is unable to point out, hey, maybe we not ought to be teaching socialism to our troops. You know, yeah. when General Milley whose personal bravery as a combat soldier is without question, yeah. but whose conduct as uh, chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff has been an utter disaster. He gets up and says, well, I read Marx, and I read Lenin, and now I'm reading Ibram Kendi, or Henry Rogers, whatever name he's going by today. Uh, all I could think of was, yeah, I, I read Marx and Lenin too because I wanted to know how to defeat them. What's mm. your purpose reading Kendi? Don't tell me, it's training our troops to believe that garbage. See, critical race theory is a dangerous ideology that is being Terrible. pushed into students. But when, when it gets into the military, 
I don't understand it because it's almost like the new goal of the military, rather than to be the greatest, most lethal fighting force in the world, is to be diverse. Well, How does diversity win battles? Well, look, look, true diversity is being able to utilize the contributions of every single soldier, airman, marine, whatever the heck they call those people in the Space Force. Um, the, the, it is not to check a bunch of boxes. Oh, your grandfather came from here. Check. That doesn't make you more combat effective. What makes you combat effective is forging a team based on a, a central set of values. And those values are found in our Constitution, Governor. That's what we swore an oath to. Not to a bunch of faculty lounge communists uh, you know, <laughs> running their full mouths. <laughs> the thing I love about you, Kurt, is that I never have to say, now, Kurt, could you put it a little plainer? <laughs> It's part of what I absolutely adore about the things that you say. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, you can check out all of Kurt's books on Amazon, including The Split. It comes out this coming Thursday. It's going to be a brand new book, a must read. And if you want to follow Kurt in real time, follow at Kurt Schlichter on Twitter. And please read his regular columns at townhall.com. I'm telling you, they're incredible. Right now, Wink is going to tell us what we have coming up because he's read that story too. Renworthy News is next on In Case You Missed It. And then country music singer Taylor Lynn honors Loretta Lynn here on Huckabee. I got to tell you, one of the great thrills of doing this television show is that I get to listen, not just to a little snippet that you hear on TV. I get to hear all the phenomenal music that comes from Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. They are the bomb. Totally. Well, from stacks of snacks to the worst dad joke ever, <laughs> we got the news that you're going to find hard to swallow on In Case You Missed It. Well, as the lockdown stretched on, some people were desperate to find ways to kill some time. Will Cutbill of Solihull, England, used downtime to achieve his lifelong dream of making it into the Guinness Book of World Records. He wanted to get the world record for stacking M&Ms on top of each other. <laughs> now, if you're going to dream, dream big. <laughs> M&Ms are round, so it's nearly impossible to balance even one on top of another. But somehow, Will managed to stack up five M&Ms. So you know what they say, where there's a will, there's a way. Did you say that? I did, did say, say that? that. I can't believe that's did in there. Did you say that? Uh, <laughs> look, I would have just glued them together with peanut butter and eaten them. But, you know, Wink, we have some M&Ms here. We're going to see if we can stack six M&Ms, because if we could, we will have the no, world No, we're record. not going to do it. You're going to try to do it. You know what? It's harder than it looks. When I first heard that somebody said a... Guinness record for stacking five M&Ms. You need some peanut butter. I thought, that's stupid. Five M&Ms, that's not very much. I got to be honest, I don't think I can do two. It's How long is working. this show? Not long enough for me to stack two M&Ms, <laughs> much less five. Will, I think you're going to keep that record, son. I do. 
Anyway, Will said he was thinking of trying for six, but then the pubs reopened. Sounds like he's going to be breaking some other balancing records. Uh, anyway, that ain't happening. We're not going to be able to do it. Meanwhile, Chicago and Dan O'Connor found a different way to escape from the stresses of 2020. Every day for one year, he dived into Lake Michigan. Now, in the winter, he got cuts and scrapes after hacking holes through the ice to dive in. Hey, quite frankly, at that point, stacking M&Ms sounds pretty good now, doesn't it, huh? <laughs> well, you might think, isn't it dangerous to swim in a frozen lake? Well, he's from Chicago. It's safer than being in downtown, that's for sure. <laughs> oh. Amen. I mean, the lake is only, I'm probably the only part of Chicago that's not run by a Democratic mayor. So there, the fish don't shoot you. So it's safe. It's better. Said by a good Republican. <laughs> Dan got so many followers online that he became known as the Great Lake Jumper, and a big crowd showed up to watch his final leap into Lake Michigan. Now, I'm thinking, Wink, that if the governor of Illinois tries to bring back the lockdowns in Illinois, Dan ought to tell him to go jump in the lake. I think that'd be the way to do it. <laughs> An analysis by Google Trends identified the most commonly misspelled word in each state. Quarantine was the most misspelled word in 12 different states, and the weirdest spelling of that word was this one, corn-teen. No. I'm not kidding. No. I don't even know what to say. Anyway, believe, receive, and coronavirus also turned up quite a bit, but here's a real weird one. In five different states, people can't spell the word which. Now, I'm going to be nice and not say which states those are. By the way, Californians can't spell the word separate. I would have guessed that they didn't know the word constitution. <laughs> but here's one I really can't believe. This is weird. Texans don't know how to spell confident. But this one... It makes perfect sense. I figure you're most likely to misspell a word if it's a concept that you've never come in contact with. So in Washington, D.C., and this is true, the most misspelled word is succeed. They can't spell it in D.C. You know what one of, one of the most misspelled words is, too, oddly enough? What's that? The word misspell. Is it really? Gets misspelled a lot. Finally, I know the favorite word you have when we do this uh, particular segment. You've heard the term dad jokes? You know what those are. Those are the sexist triggering name for bad jokes. And in Great Britain, all these supermarkets held a contest to find the best dad joke of all time, otherwise known as the best bad joke. Runner-ups. These are the runner-ups. They included this one. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? I, matey. You get that? I'm 80. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yes, indeed. I was wondering why the Frisbee kept looking bigger and bigger. And then it hit me. <laughs> now, that's a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. I think that, that we might keep that one. This is actually my favorite. I was behind a man at the bank who said, could you check my balance? So I pushed him. <laughs> okay, that was good. I like that one. And the winner of the best dad joke ever, which means the worst, is this one. I hired a limo, then found out it didn't include a driver. So I spent $400 on a limo, and I have nothing to chauffeur it. Did somebody actually write that? They actually wrote that in Great Britain. I don't even <laughs> want that to be 
somehow accounted to the U.S. <laughs> well, I've got to stop now so I can go hire the winner to write for this show. But <laughs> until next time, remember, we read the news. Huck's hero, Paula Jo Taylor, and country music singer, Taylor Lynn, honors her grandmother, Loretta Lynn. You are watching Huckabee. Next week, join us for special musical guest, Danny Goki. One of the most famous lines in rock music is, hope I die before I get old. Well, I know a lady who didn't let getting older or even the threat of death stop her from pursuing her musical dreams. Now she's known as the guitar shredding granny and she's inspiring people worldwide on the internet. And that's why she is this week's Huck's Hero. I've been playing lead guitar um, for a very, very long time, most of my life. And I've had a few setbacks. Um, mainly, I had cancer. And uh, it's been about five or six years ago. I went back on stage 10 days after my surgery and played music, not only because I love it, but also because I think it's important to show people that no matter what obstacles come your way, keep, keep striving and keep going forward. I mean, obviously, I look up to her. She's, you know, a hero to me. And she's an example of perseverance, dedication, um, you know, just being really tough. Um, I like to think you're never too old, too. I mean, I we get a lot of comments about that, that, you know, my goodness, what's grandma doing on stage? I can tell when musicians come in and they thought that same thing. They said, what is going on here? You know, they, why is this lady up there? They, they didn't really know. And then, you know, and then of course they heard her play and they're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I've had more success as a grandmother <laughs> than I have ever in my life before. Please welcome the guitar shredding granny, Paula Jo Taylor. Paula Jo, thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Governor. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be here. I love your story. It's oh, just so powerful. And you know, when I first heard that you were gonna be on our show and they said, she's a, a grandmother who plays the guitar and she went through cancer and she's you know fighting back. And, and I thought, okay, she probably started playing the guitar after her treatment and she knows three chords, which is all you need for rock and roll. Um, <laughs> but I watched you play and I said, Gosh, this this lady can play. She, I mean, totally shreds that guitar. Thank you. When did you start playing? I started playing uh, 150 years ago. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that's not true. <laughs> uh, when I was seven years old, so that's a long time. Wow. But, uh, yes. but there's something that happened when people started recognizing you. Uh, when did that whole thing start just blossoming? Well, actually, um, 
What happened was I was playing for, I was trying out a guitar at the NAM show, uh -huh. which is actually going on right now here in Nashville, but this has been a few years ago. And some people were filming me with their iPhones and so forth and so on. And this gentleman filmed me and he happened to be a rock and roll star over in Germany. Well, he put it up unbeknownst to me on his social media. And Nikki Six from Motley Crue yeah. <laughs> happened to see it. And um, he put it on, on his iHeartRadio station. He researches and done a little article. And my daughter called me up one day and she said, Mom, my friends are telling me you went viral. And I said, am I contagious? I mean, you know, uh, you know should I see a doctor at the start of the pandemic or what? But anyway, so um, that's what it was. And then after that, it... Uh, thanks to Nikki Six, it got about six million views. And he so, was the one that first called you the guitar shredding. He granny. called me the guitar shredding granny, and I am a granny. So if he wants to call me that, that's great. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a great thing that not only that you're playing guitar, but that you let the guitar become a great instrument, not just for playing music, but for getting past cancer and saying, "I'm not going to lay down and let this beat me." What an inspiration! Well, thank you. Yes, I. It was always a part of my life, and I had waited a long time to come to Nashville to play with the best musicians in the world. And I wasn't going to let that stop me. In fact, I, um, I went back on stage 10 days after my double mastectomy, and I had drain tubes in, and I had to wear an, a blouse that tied in the front that covered these drain tubes. Wow. <laughs> because they kept kind of peeking out, you know. <laughs> well, you've played with some of the greatest musicians. Who are some of the people that you have played with and opened for? Oh, I've opened for a lot of people. I mean, gosh, everybody, including Taylor Swift and Lone Star and um, Kenny Chesney and a lot of different people. I, mm. I was fortunate enough when I came to Nashville to get with a band that toured, and we did that. And um, I've just, I've, I've played with a lot of people. I've been very blessed. In you that. know, I want you to play with the very best there is. And tonight, I'm going to invite you to go over and play with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection because awesome. I don't know better musicians existing Absolutely. than these guys. We love you, Paula Joe, and we're Thank so grateful so for your courage to fight cancer and to do it with a smile and a joy, but also to show us that no one is ever too old. That's right. To rock and roll. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Governor. Big hand for Paula Joe Taylor, our Huff's hero. Now, while Paula Joe gets ready to play with Trey in the band, Wink is going to tell us how we can keep up with her, and we're going to want to. Well, you can keep up with Paula Joe and the Taylor's live show schedule by following her on Facebook, and you can see all her fantastic videos by subscribing to her YouTube channel. Now, give a hand to guitar shredding granny, Paula Joe Taylor.
Yeah, welcome back. Boy, what a fun show we have had, but it's not over. I mean, it just is going to keep getting better, and here's why. Country singer and songwriter Taylor Lynn was born into country music royalty. She really was. She is the granddaughter of the queen of country, Loretta Lynn. And Taylor reflects on her personal relationship and the musical influence from her grandmother in her very first solo recording, Taylor Lynn Sings Loretta Lynn. The tribute recording features 13 of Loretta Lynn hit songs, including Coal Miner's Daughter, You Ain't Woman Enough, and Sweet Thing. Here to tell us more, would you please welcome somebody I'm predicting going to be a big star. We're going to get to see her here tonight. Taylor Lynn, welcome her. I'm so excited to have you here. It's kind of like having the reincarnation of Loretta Lynn with us here. Well, thank you, Governor. I'm so excited to be here. Are you kidding me? What? Your grandmother, I mean, she is just an amazing songwriter, singer. We were talking earlier that it, it's the authenticity of her music and the lyrics. It's like she's just painting a picture of life that people have lived. I mean, I know you got to hope that that's rubbing off on you. You got to pray it is. <laughs> I have spent so much time with her on the road and at home, and she has helped mold me, I guess, into what I'm doing today. So I do pray that some of just like that much of her is rubbing off on me. You have been on the road with her. You've mm -hmm. lived out there at the place. And, and, and so obviously she's helped mold you. What are some of the things that she has said? Now, Taylor, this is important. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> Learn three chords on a guitar. <laughs> also, get in the bathroom with a tape recorder and sing a song over and over and over again until it sounds the way that you want it to. Hmm. And remember that country music is about family. When you started putting this album together, you picked 13 songs of your grandmother you said you wanted to pay tribute to her with. That must have been a tough job, just figuring out which ones you wanted to pick. It was. Uh, you know, she helped me pick some of them out. And then a couple of the songs were ones that my mom would sing around the house, like Black Eyed Peas and Blue Eyed Babies and <laughs> Old Rooster and God Bless the Children Everywhere. Like, those mm. were just songs that were in our home or in the car. And the other ones were, you know, we picked some hits, but we tried to do songs that I really loved and ones like You Ain't Woman Enough, which is her favorite song yeah. that she's ever done, so. And one of the things I find interesting, she and Conway Twitty yes. performed so many times and Conway Twitty's grandson, Trey, yes. and you are now going out on tour. We're a duo. That is. Yes. And you know the history of this theater that we're in? This is the house Conway Twitty built. We, we are, are so thrilled. We're in Twitty City. We are, and we love the fact that this theater where we do this show has such a history, such a connection mm. to one of the greatest, greatest country singers of all time, Conway Twitty. Oh, he just amazing. Just the nicest man. Meemaw loved him so much. He and my grandfather, Mooney, were great friends. And just when Trey and I got together, the chemistry was just like that. And we have had such a great time and people have really responded so well to what we're doing. And so we're just we're just chasing that fire. Well, Taylor, we're having you here tonight. And I, I've got to have you promise that you and Trey will come back together 
because I want Trey to play this theater again like his to. grandfather did. Wink Martindale, would you tell the folks at home how they can go ahead and get this brand new album by Taylor? To get your copy of Taylor Lynn Sings Loretta Lynn, go to taylorlynn.com. After the show, go to huckabee.tv for an online exclusive performance of Lord Don't Give Up On Me. Now, here to perform the 1966 Loretta Lynn hit, You Ain't Woman Enough, with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, with Mike on bass, here's Taylor Lynn. But he's in love with me. 